Welcome back for another episode of the Happy at Work podcast with Laura, Tessa, and Michael. Each week, we have thoughtful conversations with leaders, founders, and authors about happiness at work. Tune in each Thursday for a new conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast, where we are so excited to have with us today, Patty Marchloska, who is the Senior Director of Strategy for U.S. Customer Engagement with Eli Lilly. I know that you are a registered nurse and that you have extensive experience working in healthcare and really working with very diverse generational dynamics. This is a topic that is really close to my heart in the work that I've done over the past 30 years um, as it relates to human capital strategy and talent management. And so really um, want to kind of kick us off in, in learning from you as to what are some of the you know, connections you've explored around positive psychology and, and being able to manage those uh, multi-generational and very diverse dynamics in the workplace. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm I'm happy to share. I think when I started my career about 30 years ago, I, I was a younger nurse right out of school going into the ICU. Um, at that time, I was surrounded by older, more experienced nurses within the ICU. They don't typically have new grads go in. Um, but I think during that decade-long part of my career at the bedside, I learned a lot from them and their experience, um, which I, I think helped grow me more as a younger nurse. Um, I will say some of the crankiest nurses in the hospital are ones that have been nurses for 30 years. So um, there was a little bit of struggle there um, working with them and, and doctors are not always the easiest to work with either. Um, but I think I had that experience of really learning from what they knew. I left the bedside about 17 years ago, went into industry, uh, working in population health and outcomes research uh, for the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I think early on, I was very well regarded because of all of my prior healthcare experience. And I actually have done very well for myself within this researcher group and a lot of peers that were in my age group. I would say about five years ago, my team expanded um, and we really started to employ a lot of new grads, uh, D MBA students right out of school. And right now, 50% of my team is probably younger than 35 and about 50% are older than 35. Um, I am the oldest on my team being in my mid fifties. Um, I think my experience and the wisdom I have from working in healthcare, uh, across all across healthcare is still highly regarded, but it's difficult to sit at the table sometimes um, with a lot of the new graduates um, and listening to them talk about healthcare today, right? Uh, from their book, their book smart piece. Um, I struggle now to not be one of the cranky people uh, when I'm sitting at the table. It's a struggle for me. Um, I do value their raw ideas and they challenge me to think outside of the box. Um, but I struggle with the need to want them to value my experience. Um, so I, I think that's where I am today. Um, there's been a lot of learnings, but that's where I, it's kind of the evolution of being a brand new nurse 
on the team, you know, to now 30 years into my career and now working with people coming right out of school too. I love that that self-awareness you have, Patty. <laughs> you know, I get it though, right? It's like, yeah. you know, and and also just wanting to not be cranky, realizing that you're getting cranky, right? When the, when the experience piece is just not something that people value, as you said. So I appreciate you. You know, not, not everybody has that kind of meta view of themselves um, in going through that. And I share that in many on many occasions. <laughs> so in your role, you've probably seen the connection um, and the importance between the culture and the well-being of your employees and also how patients are cared for, probably in your prior, you know, in your prior role. So I was wondering from your perspective, what do you see that leaders can be doing to foster that that positive culture? And especially with what we're talking about around the multi-generational teams aspect of this too. So, and you know, how that all works to improve the well-being of our employees. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to start at a high level and and then bring it down to my working level. You know, when you've worked 30 years in healthcare, every three to five years, there's a new CEO, there's a new CNO, and they all want to change the culture. Um, Changing a culture takes decades, you know, so there's only little bits and pieces that I, I, I believe actually change. Right. Um, And sometimes that could be a real struggle they really want to change the culture and they think they could just come in and do it overnight. Um, I think at, that's at the macro level. At the micro level, I think the best way to, to foster a positive team culture um, across generations is just bringing them together on projects and day-to-day work streams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I don't instantly trust and respect people like I should. It's not a check the box. I get you. I respect you. I trust you. I think you know everything. Um, That comes over time. um, And it's gained, I think, through experience of working together. So I think when we're thrown together without trust, um, there isn't always a good working relationship to stand on. Um, And you're building something and it takes too long to then get the project done, right? But if Day to day, if we are working together day to day, we're building that trust and you put us together on a work stream, um, it gives us a better working foundation. So um, I I think if you can, for me, I think a culture can't be just throw people together on specific projects, but how across day to day can we work together? Um, I do have to work really hard at being respectful. I think the trust has to be there for the team to really produce something good. Um, and for me, if I'm thrown into something, I I have to check myself because if I don't trust you, you're going to say something and, and I'm not always respectful because I've already done that and learned it's not the right way to do it, you know, um, through my experience. So I think the trust comes from working together day to day. Um, and I think if you have that, then when you get thrown together on bigger projects, you're just going to be that much more successful. So when we think about, you know, and I love that when you talk about develop the projects, have multi-generational teams, it's about that diversity of perspective. That's really important. And we had a, a panel of Gen Z, um, 
professionals. Um, we, it was a two-part series we did on the podcast. And it really was, I think, very, even though I teach, I've been teaching for the past 10 years in a, in a university setting, as has Lauren and Michael, um, you know, we've been exposed to Gen Z quite a bit, as well as we have our own kids. But it was hearing these professionals speak, they, we got, we learned so much and so much insight from the way they think about work and, and what their experience is. And they bring so many strengths to the table. And so I'm curious as to how do you feel like, uh, businesses, teams, managers can really capitalize and leverage the strengths of the different generations when they're working on a team together? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, I remember being a brand new leader. Uh, I was working at the hospital and we had to take this course. Um, it was all around generational workers. And at that time, you know, that's almost 25 years ago, you know, just hearing the stories about at that time, people from World War One, you know, we had we had nurses that were in their 60s and 70s back then. And how they thought and how they processed things and how that was different from me and my generation. I had a lot of aha moments. Um, I think later, you know, we've all I've I've had decades of leadership courses where I had to learn how how do I like to get information? How do I deliver information? And then for my current working team, we all got to see it was like some of us are yellow, some are red, some are blue, some are green. And I really understood, oh, I understand why my researchers sometimes who are blue and green and I'm more red and yellow don't always. I, I think having that insight was really great. And what I took away from all of that is if I can understand what's motivating someone first, I can be more respectful in how they're communicating their thoughts and ideas. And so I always try to start there. If, if somebody's saying something, I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. Well, if I say that in my head now, thank goodness. Um, but what's motivating to them to say that? Are they challenging me to think differently? Um is this just the way they communicate and it's different than the way I communicate it? How can I receive it in a positive way? And I will tell you, we talk about this as a group setting, but for me, and I hope I'm not the only one, it's always about me sitting at that table. You know, how am I receiving? How am I, you know, putting it out there? Um, how is what they say? How is what they're saying impacting me and my thinking. Um, and I've really just had to slow down. I, I slow down, take time, understand their motivation. And I think a lot of that comes from trust and respect as well. I think it all goes back to that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So kind of building on that and going a little deeper around um, communication, if you think about that communication at a team level or at a organization-wide level, right? For managers and leaders, it seems to me like it's almost always that we need to do better at communication, right? It's almost always a gap. I, I don't know if I've ever really even seen a group that does that really well. Um, it seems like it's always an issue. So I was wondering if you could share maybe some specific communication strategies that you found particularly effective. You, you kind of were alluding to some of the things you do, um, but just wondering if you could build on that a little bit more. So I'll start out by saying, I think I'm an amazing communicator. <laughs> people just, other people don't always see it that way, but 
Traditionally, I'm very transparent and very direct. And I think that stems from working in an ICU. It's an emergency situation. There is not time for fluffy. Um, You know, you're fluffy and emotional afterwards, you know, not during. But I think there's different paths to effectively communicating. Um, I thought it was really funny. I had a boss, um, not in my corporate job, not everyone is very comfortable with my style. And and I've had that feedback from day one. But I actually had a a peer who communicates just like me and I love him to death. Um, But one of our managers gave us this story, uh, gave us this paper on uh, being... um, uh, radically transparent and that those are your best employees because you always know what they're thinking. They will always give you the feedback. So it was really the first time that I had a director appreciate the positive side of being very transparent and being very um, open and direct with my style. I will say this. I think, again, new people that may come to the table do not always, I think sometimes when I'm working with them, they're like, whoa. But I think people that know me after a while do really respect um, and appreciate, appreciated it. And I also think I opened the door for other people. You know, too many times we sit on calls and no one's speaking because they're afraid to speak out. You know, none of us has time to waste for that. So I feel like if I can get in my transparency right up front, it opens the door for other people to maybe communicate and and say what needs to be said. Um, But I will say this has been a struggle for me. Um, And I have to, you know, I have to understand that people that don't know me could be put off by me. So I try to find a way to, to make it positive for them too. I I so appreciate what you just said, Patty, because when we talk about psychological safety, so when we teach about it, we teach about, um, you know, there, there is that, that ideal employee, which we all kind of think about, but when we look at the behaviors of the ideal employee, oftentimes they are, you know, not wanting to upset anyone else. They're trying to fix problems without anyone realizing there is a problem. You know, they, they do those behaviors that actually will end up perpetuating, uh, a culture and environment while well, they're they're trying to do the best thing and just not ruffle a feather it does yeah. perpetuate a, a you know an environment and culture of cover up and and it doesn't promote psychological safety but if managers can understand that if you have this diverse slate of multi-generational employees and team members and that you really appreciate what they're bringing to the table authentically as as themselves and you don't try to put them into the box that you think you want because honestly that box is going to end up covering up or hiding issues that you need to know about as a manager so i love radically transparent i think that's a that's a that's a great um i think that's a great line actually i mean like a, a great quality um to be cited for um, and, and that leads me to a question around learning and growth. When you think about, um, you know, how you want to promote a culture of learning and growth within any team, but people learn so differently, especially multi-generations. They really, you know, learn differently. They they kind of are motivated by different things, sense of accomplishment, sense of achievement versus collaboration and so forth. So how have you found that, you know, promote having a multi-generational team, how can you promote learning and growth opportunities? 
And I think I'm going to go a little bit back to what you said, where we talk about, you know, this safe environment. Um, because until I started hearing that in some of my, my courses, I, I really didn't make the connection, but if we all, anybody that's worked for a long period of time, we learn more from our mistakes and the things that we did wrong than the things that went really well. And I think that contributes being able to share, this is how this didn't work before. Um, and this is how let's open the door and have a discussion based on those learnings. And almost I'm admitting to, you know, failure and wanting to grow. And I think that sets the pace. And so when working groups have the opportunity to foster this cohesive learning environment, um, I think people, and, and you set the stage for them to say, hey, it's okay to fail. Like we have failed. So let's talk about that. It creates that safe environment. So I think there's something to be learned both from the newer generations of, of workers, um, from the older generations where we're, you know, we're able to say we have seen failure. And I think once we grasp that we all have something to give and something to gain, um, I think that's how we grow together. It, but I think a lot of times we just, we just, I say me, a lot of times it was just, I wanted to give you, I want to give you, I want to give you, I want to tell you everything you should do. Um, without that back end experience of hey this is what i learned from you right and so i think the give and take comes both it is bi-directional um and it didn't come easy to me but i feel like any successful collaboration um that i've had came from the success of working with a team and it played out over time that there was this give and take but many times i i I used to go in saying, here's what you need to know, right? Here's what I know that you need to know. And it was all, I'm here to give. Um, but I, I will say over time, I've learned, I've gained a lot. Um, so I think once both sides see that, uh, I think you'll have more successful collaborations. And I just want to pick up on a one thing you said, Patty, because that's actually showing up a lot in the research right now is around, um, especially, you know, older generations who are more experienced telling younger generations, this is the way you do your job. And I know what you have to do and come in and just do it this way. And what's what we're learning is that upwards of 80% of skills that early careers, younger generations have are not being leveraged by the workplace. So we're talking about this whole, you know, need for skilling and reskilling and upskilling the workforce the younger generations have these skills. It's just they're being told how to do their job and they're not given the autonomy to maybe experiment or try to do it a different way or apply new skill sets. So it really ends up hurting the company because they're not leveraging these amazing skills that these uh, younger, early careers, younger generations are bringing to the table. So it's super interesting. So good. So related to this idea of learning and development and give and take, is the concept of mentorship. Um, so and with you know your long career in healthcare, I'm wondering your thoughts about mentorship, specifically how you have seen it be used as a tool for growth, a tool for you know both your personal growth and your professional growth, and maybe that maybe addressing that cross-generation issue as well. 
Yeah. And I will say I've had a lot of mentors, um, but I tend to pick people that um, I really just want to go have a cocktail with. So they've all just turned into friends. I, I think I found the value of mentorship probably in the past decade. And I think I've gained more from mentoring than actually being mentored. Um, for me, for me personally, it's a place of validation that I can bring my experience and learnings to people that actually um, may interpret and use it in different ways than I did. And I, I think that's it's a continuous opportunity to share and grow. Um, I did not think I was going to really like mentoring. Um, and I, I will share this one experience I had uh, was a new grad, uh, a farm D uh, MBA student who was competing with me. I, and I was, you know, I'm very transparent, as I just said, and I sat down with her and I, I said, you know, I, we're not on the same level. Like, I'm not your competition here. Um, in fact, I think in 30 years in your career, you'll probably be way farther along than I am. But but for right now, you would gain more from letting me mentor you uh, than trying to compete with to compete with me. Um, it was not an easy conversation to have. We have one of the greatest relationships now. Um, she's my daughter's age and um, I love her. We have the, just the best relationship. It is very trusting. Um, I just, that started me mentoring and I probably mentor um, just shy of 10 people right now. Um, and I love it. And that I think that most of them are on my team. And so what's really great is it's an opportunity for them to know me in a different way and to, to have that trust. Um, so I, I think I've gained more from mentoring people. I, again, I always share, I, this is how it went wrong. And, you know, how do you think we could do it different and it could go right? Because again, I think most learnings come from you know, when things didn't go well. So it's been a great opportunity, um, you know, within my team. That's amazing. Um, and I really, I I love that. Um, the fact that you had the courage to have that conversation of, let's, let's not compete. <laughs> There's no competition here. Um, but let's figure out how to help each other. And and I think that's, that's wonderful. Um, the, the next topic I would love to touch upon, which is obvious in healthcare, but really prevalent in every industry is change. And adapting to change is a huge um, skill set topic that we talk with clients about all the time across in industries, because if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's that change is going to be continuous, ongoing, you know, with the onset of new technology like generative AI or AI, I mean, we can only anticipate there's going to be more change in the future, not less. So how do you create that, you know, type of organization that can adapt to change, but that's also incredibly resilient, that organization that can be transformative, but keep the ship moving forward at the same time? Um, what are your thoughts on that that piece? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the biggest struggle today, right? And I think healthcare in the U.S., it's a continuous learning and evolving environment. Um, it's always challenging. And we're we're always trying to keep up with the next technology, you know, the next uh, drugs, disease states, pandemics. Um, 
it's important to understand where we've been and why it did or didn't work when we're looking at the future. But I think what we know now, no one is ever an expert for a long period of time. Um, You don't become an expert and stay an expert. And I think understanding that allows us to embrace this culture of learning and growing, uh, which ultimately makes us more resilient, more adaptable to change. Um, And I think a lot of us struggle with that. Um, but it is the face of where we are today, um, very much so in healthcare. So, Patty, the last question that we have for you is just kind of building on this kind of outlook of the future, right? So, looking ahead at all the ways that work is changing, that the workforce is changing, how do you really envision how these multi generational teams, right, are going to work together in a way that really helps us have a better life, that improves our well-being. Um, Just curious if you think there are any specific trends or insights that would really help us shape that in a positive way. I do. And, and, you know, I had a a really great leader probably about a decade ago who really felt diversity on the team was the key. Um, Very, a long time ago, my team was only nurses and pharmacists. And she started bringing in these other people um, that didn't have a clinical background. And I was like, oh my gosh, but their perspective is different. And we all sit in the room and we all have different perspectives. It made us all better. So to me, I think diversity is the key, whether it's generational, culture, gender, coming together with different perspectives on the same topic allows us to gain trust and respect um, of each other. And I think it only makes it better when we, you know, our deliverable is is better with the multiple perspectives. Um, I don't think it's easy. Um, It took me longer to appreciate than I would have liked, Um, but I do embrace it now. And I do think it's the key uh, to the future for sure. That is wonderful. There's um, a wonderful TED Talk by Margaret Heffernan, who's a researcher out of the UK. And she talks about the echo chamber and how diversity of thought and having people who will actively challenge you in your career and in your team is so important to getting to a solution or an outcome that is actually so much better than yeah. if you had you were in an echo chamber of people just saying, yes, Good, good idea, boss. Let's go with your idea and never challenging you. It certainly doesn't produce the same level of results. So Patty, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to keeping in touch and, and maybe inviting you back in a few months to see how things are going. Wonderful. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank, Thank you. you. It's awesome. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts. Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com. And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.